was recently invited to one of the most spectacular bridal showers I have ever attended. The environment was beautiful. Each touch was intentional. But the cutest thing was near the end of the shower, the groom came in to play a Mr. and Mrs. game. The bride and groom sat back to back. Each had a cowboy boot representing the Mr. and a high heel representing the Mrs. They were asked a series of questions like, who will do the laundry? They would respond by lifting the boot or the high heel or both. They actually knew a lot about each other, plenty around expectations of who would do what and around individual preferences and personalities. The funniest question which highlights the sweet couple was the question, who has the biggest truck? Both Mr. and Mrs. with great declaration shot up the high heel in the air. Casey had the bigger truck. It was so hysterical. They are off to an amazing start in knowing each other, but they are just at the very beginning. Well, Lisa, we're kicking off a brand new season of the Auto Espousing Podcast. That's right. We're really excited about the new season and a couple of changes we are making to the show. The biggest change is that we're going from new episodes airing every other week on the first and third Mondays to now airing weekly every Monday. Yeah, we're excited about it. So the first and third Mondays will be you and I sharing some thoughts around specific topics to build strength into your art of spousing. Then weeks two or four, we're going to have guest couples on the show with us to talk about their marriage dynamics, specifically around the tool of the Enneagram. It's going to be a lot of fun. Before we jump into today's topic, we want to thank all of you who are faithfully listening to the podcast. It means so much to us to hear your feedback and comments about the show. Lisa, I remember when you and I first met, we would go on long walks in the evening and ask all kinds of questions about each other. Just wanting to know all we could about each other. The truth is, I was so infatuated by you that you could have told me that you were raised by coyotes in the backwoods of Arkansas, and I would have thought it was the most amazing thing. I would guess that most young romances start that each person knowing a lot of information about each other, just like Casey and Hunter, newlyweds can answer many of the Mr. and Mrs. game questions. However, moving beyond newlywed knowledge and growing in the deep intimacy requires a commitment from each individual to be both vulnerable and curious. Okay, James, full disclosure, in front of all of our listeners, I was raised by coyotes. <laughs> Sometimes I bet you wonder if I were. I remember our long walks. Now reflecting back, they were an instrumental part of our relationship. I was a broken girl trying to step into a new world of new choices so I could walk in a new direction in life. I had just enough awareness to know I was headed in a not so good direction, but it's just like how God works. Small amount of awareness was just enough to motivate me for something better than I was tracking toward. So this is when I encountered you and your head over heels self, which is really the cutest thing. I I love that you you thought that way about me. In one aspect, I could tell you had had a life that had been marked by a call of God on your life at a young age, and you lived in that calling. Even though I had been raised in church, I had lived a life according to Lisa. I knew you had a call of ministry on your life. And I could not see how I could even redeem this mess I had made of myself and marry someone or be with someone like you. Therefore, I gave full disclosure of what I was walking out of, all the blood, guts, and nastiness. <laughs> I wanted you to know how messed up I was. I hope there really wasn't blood, guts, and nastiness. Well, there. no, but it, my life was pretty messy. I was pushing you away before you could even get started. I was extremely guarded with my heart and honestly not fully aware of myself, my past, or the implications of my family upbringing 
upbringing, my family of origin. We were getting to know each other, but really had only scratched the surface. God in his mercy only allowed us to see what was right in front of us, not all the nitty gritty that was way out in front of us. Otherwise, we may have been scared a little bit. Yeah. So when we got married, we thought we knew everything about each other. And so like you said, Lisa, neither of us were fully self-aware. I think we had been married six years and our oldest daughter, Alex, would have been around four years old. There was something about the way that you witnessed my relationship with Alex that stirred a tremendous sense of loss and things that you didn't experience as a child. It awoke this emotional struggle that we had not experienced up to that point in our marriage. Yeah, I'd witnessed you, and then we called her Lexi, as father and daughter, holding hands, cozy on the couch. And one night, I watched you as you tucked her in bed, and it hit me. I did not have that relationship. I began to realize the value in fatherhood and the little things that support shaping a girl's heart and view of herself. That does not even get into the teenage years and the necessary interactions a girl needs with a healthy male figure in her life to help her set standards and behavior and establish the value of being a girl. But the night you tucked Lexi in bed was the season I shifted in my spirit, in my maturity as a woman and as a believer. Thankfully, I had no animosity toward her, but I began leaning into anything to position me to grow as an individual, independent of you, my own personal growth. Right. But knowing now the impact on me pursuing health and awareness around my baggage would actually strengthen our marriage. So me awareness, we awareness, as I began to understand myself better, I began to see you differently and how your personality and your life experiences began to blend with mine. If I was coming into this awareness about my upbringing and how it was impacting my life in that moment, then a realization came to me that you were probably living out some of those same things in your family of origin, although very different than mine, but was impacting you as a man and us as a married couple. So I love to say it was a beautiful blending, but it was more like a crazy collision. (laughs) It's true. I like what you said there, Lisa, that as you became more aware of yourself, you really became more aware of who I am. And the truth is, several years later, I would have my own crisis of identity. And as my blind spots were revealed to me, I became more aware of who you are and how God uniquely put us together to make each other better. I love it. There's no perfect marriage because every marriage is made up of two imperfect people. Yeah. But we do believe that every marriage can experience health and vitality, but it starts with each person making the commitment to work on themselves. Self-leadership is required to your marriage becoming a masterpiece in the making for sure. Yeah, that's true. I have this equation that I often use when I talk about self-leadership in my coaching and teaching. It's basically self-awareness plus self-management equals self-leadership. So the more aware you become and manage the strengths and weaknesses, the more self-leadership happens. In a marriage relationship, the more you and your spouse become aware of each other and manage your relationship to foster growth, the healthier your marriage relationship will be. I love it. We want to talk about some areas that couples can dive into to grow in their we awareness right after this. We want to take a moment to tell you about a great opportunity for your marriage. If you're looking for that one thing that could be the game changer for your relationship, then the Marriage Reboot Retreat is just for you. If you want a greater connection with your spouse, if you are tired of feeling stuck in the same old, same old, if you desire to feel the thrill of fun and discovery again, like you did when you first met, we can help. 
We support couples to reconnect, recharge, and re-engage to pursue their life purpose together. The Marriage Reboot Retreat by Marry for a Purpose is a private, intensive experience for you and your spouse, working exclusively with Lisa and I for two consecutive full days. At the end of the two days, you will walk away with a unified purpose for your marriage and a holistic vision for your marriage and family, supported with a real action plan. If you would like to find out more information about the Marriage Reboot Retreat, you can set up a discovery call with James and I, and we will tell you more about it. The link is in the show notes, or you can direct message us on Instagram at Art Espousing, and we will send you a link to schedule a discovery call. So as we talk about areas where we can grow in our me awareness and we awareness, we'll create two buckets, nature and nurture. So there's a lot of agreement that the way we act or we behave is a combination of nature, what's wired into us at birth. We can't really change it. It's just our DNA, who we are and nurture, which are the environments, the experiences, and the events that happen to us in life. So let's start with nature, and we will give you four areas for discussion and investigation in your relationship as it, as it relates to nature. So the four areas are personality, birth order, core motivations, and love languages. Okay. So the first is understanding your personality types. And of course, I would be talking about this because I love all of that stuff. You do. Discovery around the human personality has been a thing for centuries. We know of modern psychology assessments like Myers-Briggs and DISC and many more, but interest in personality goes back to Egyptian, Persian, and Greek civilization when they categorized behavior into elements of water, earth, air, and fire. Later, a Greek philosopher named four temperaments, choleric, phlegmatic, sanguine, and melancholic. So I'm going to break them down. Choleric is an outgoing, task-oriented personality that's quick to act. At the very best, they are ambitious, courageous, and proud people. When not in a good space, they can be vindictive and irritable. (laughs) Okay, so the sanguine, of course, this is a reduced version of all of these. Absolutely. Yeah. Sanguine is an outgoing, people-oriented personality that is quick to act. They are energetic, relational, and active people. They have lots of words and tend to be extroverted. Phlegmatic, a reserved, people-oriented personality that is slow to act. They are loyal people. They tend to live their lives around home and family. Melancholic, a reserved, task-oriented personality that is slow to act also. Deep thinkers known for their not being silly, and they are not prankster. So this is not me. They are subject to dwell on the past and have a hard time letting go of offense. So those are just basic four personalities from way back when. So James, which best describes you? I I would say I'm probably more cleric than anything. I agree. Because you have all of these in you, just Mm -hmm. like any other assessments, but one is dominant. And what do you think I where I land? Uh, Well, because you are the queen of shenanigans, you would have to be sanguine. Yes, and I, I do resonate with phlegm- phlegmatic. I have a really hard... Phlegmatic? Phlegmatic. You have <laughs> I have such a hard time with words. <laughs> I do. But that one, that one. So in between the two of those. You are, yeah, people, yeah. you're all about people orientation and personality for yes, sure. But I am a little bit slow to act, so that's what confuses me a little bit there. So some people have adverse reactions to be put in a box by any kind of personality assessments. Might I suggest that is a great excuse to stay unaware of your impact on how you interact with your spouse? Yeah. 
That was a little bit of a verbal spanking by Aunt Lisa, but it's true. Knowing some of your basic learnings around yourself and your spouse can increase the quality of interactions with your spouse. Yeah, it's true. I mean, just knowing that you're more people-oriented, I'm not people-oriented, you're more extroverted, I'm more introverted. I'm slow to act, you're fast to act. Yeah. So some of those tensions that can arise if you're not aware of those things can be avoided if we just accept the different personality types that were not all created the same, right? Correct. So a second area related to nature is birth order. And this is kind of a newer learning for me. I've been reading this book by Kevin Lamont, author of The Intimate Connection. And he says it's important to know and understand your birth order, where you were born in the order of your siblings, because the order in which you were born and the role you played in your family has everything to do with how you perceive reality. So that in turn greatly affects how you view and respond to your spouse. He goes on to say that no one acts out of a void. You learn to be the person you are based on the way your parents and siblings interact with you. So here are a few things to know about birth order behavior, and maybe some you and your spouse can discuss. Firstborns were the family guinea pig. Your parents had no clue what they were doing. We can relate to that. Sorry, Sorry Alex. Alex. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So they tried all their new parenting techniques on you. You may have had a big spotlight of parental expectations shined on you, which may have caused some perfectionist tendencies that you now exhibit. Firstborns can be very well organized. They tend to be strong leaders, learning from the responsibility of looking after their siblings. Uh, Lamont says that if you're an only born, means you're an only child, you're basically a supercharged firstborn. Bless. Bless them. So if you're a middleborn child, you most likely went in the opposite direction of your firstborn sibling. And we can see this in our kids. Middleborns are great diplomats. They avoid conflict and they like the pathways of life to be smooth sailing. They tend to be independent and they don't often share their feelings and may be surprised when others pay attention to them. And then if you're a lastborn child, in your family, there's a good chance you are everybody's favorite. <laughs> you may That's are you point at your, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. you may have been good at manipulating your older siblings and doing your share of the chores, hmm. but your siblings may have also used you to get what they wanted from their parents. You may be the entertainer and the party waiting to happen. Your life mantra is probably don't worry, be happy. Lastborns love to be the center of attention, and lastborns tend to act impulsively and sometimes think through consequences later. I would encourage you to have this conversation with your spouse about how that relates to you and where you are in relationship to your siblings. If you're an only child or you're firstborn, middleborn, lastborn, I also encourage you to pick up a copy of Kevin Lamont's book, The Intimate Connection, and learn how the different birth order pairings relate in marriage. I love it. Great insight. Understanding your and your spouse's core motivations is a great awareness opportunity. This goes beyond a list of qualities to describe your personality. I like to say personality assessments describe the what, core motivations tell you the why mm, behind like what. That. The Enneagram is a type of tool to help uncover these things, the why behind the what, providing not only descriptions, but explanations behind the descriptions. I thought this was interesting. The Latin root word for personality is mask. Hmm. Chris Hurwitz in his book, and I'm so sorry if I destroy his last name, 
but I think I did it right. The sacred Enneagram describes the Enneagram as a journey of unmasking this personality, Mm. of taking your mask off, allowing us to ask ourselves questions to uncover areas we tend to hide or begin to ignore, or our ego takes over and our true self doesn't come out. This tool came along well after I had been working on myself, but it has given such great language to the growth I had already experienced along my spiritual journey but it also exposed some new areas to tackle. Of course, James, it has allowed me to understand you better. Right. So many learnings, but most of all, it allowed me to appreciate your strength areas that serve our marriage so well. And I'm sure to not hinder those things, but leverage them in you and really respect the value of them that add to our married life. Yeah. And I would just say that the Enneagram has probably been the most powerful and effective tool in our relationship to understand in communication and conflict, just to understand that the core motivations. And that's why we're so excited about what we're adding this season of the podcast is these conversations with couples about how this tool, the Enneagram has affected their relationship. So really hope it's going to be a helpful add to the conversation. And if you identify with a, a number and hearing other couples talk about that, it's going to be really iron powerful. sharpens iron and it's really a true, authentic conversation. These aren't experts. We're not really, I'm not an expert. I like to think I am, but I'm not an expert on Enneagram, but I'm an expert on learning about myself and learning about you and helping other people. So it's going to be a great listen. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. So then the last area that would be easy and fun to leverage the learning from in the area of nature is to understand how you and your spouse receive and express love. Gary Chapman made famous the love languages, and there are five of them. Acts of service, quality time, touch, gifts, and words of affirmation. And these have been really powerful for us in actually expressing our love for one another. Mm -hmm. We've learned that we don't express the love the way we receive it, but I want to express love to you, Lisa, and the way that you feel loved and express love. So Mm -hmm. uh, Lisa, your love language is acts of service. So anything I can do to make your world easier feels like love to you, yes. right? And my love language is words of affirmation. And so it's not just complimenting me, but mm-hmm. when you affirm that you see me, that you recognize what I'm doing, that is what makes me feel loved. Right. It's not flattery. It's, it's not, not flattery. made up stuff. It's like real stuff, actual adjectives yeah. that have been thought about, not just throwing out things. Yeah, I'm yeah. seen and I'm known by you, which is really powerful. So again, a really quick tool. Mm-hmm. but a great discussion starter with you and your spouse to talk about like, how do you feel loved and what can I do to help you feel that for yeah. me? Well, and it's a natural tendency that if I start doing things for you, acts of service, you can probably see I'm trying to love on you, mm-hmm. which is really sweet because it's the way I'm loved. But truly, even though it is kind and making an effort, I really need to flip it and look for ways to affirm you. And so we've made it a practice to grow in expressing love to one another according to our love languages, always looking to level up, never staying the same with the same tactical expressions. That's like, right. You're a great dad. Well, you are, but there's more. How? Why are you a great dad? Mm-hmm. Why are you a great leader? Why are you a great husband? Actually adding great words around it. Okay, let's jump into the second bucket of awareness, and it's related to how you and your spouse were nurtured, not the nature part, but the nurture part during your developmental years. 
If nature is how you were wired, nurture is about the experiences, environments, and events that shaped you. That's right. So family of origin is the most obvious place to start. Again, going back to Lisa and myself, I knew that Lisa did not grow up with a father in the home, but I was unaware of all the dynamics that went with that. In the same way, Lisa knew my family, but had no clue of the dynamics or the dysfunction in my family. We all have it. That's right. So if you aren't really aware of each other's origin story, take time to dig into it and see what ahas come from your discovery. So I'm going to put a list of questions in the show notes that you can use as discussion stars for this. But a few examples of those things are like, what was your parents' marriage like? How would your parents resolve conflicts or differences when you're growing up? How did they fight? How did they make up? Right. As you ask those questions, James, I lack the ability to even answer them, which is a significant learning in of itself. Right. So I want to encourage any listeners that had a huge void of examples of marriage and marriage relationship to recognize the impact of that lack, like yeah. myself. James, you mentioned events that happened to us as a part of nurture. We refer to these as significant inflection points. They change the trajectory of our life. For me, that was finding out that the man who I thought was my dad at the age of 11 actually wasn't my dad. For others, it could be a significant trauma, a death of a key individual in a life as a child, physical, emotional, sexual abuse. There's a lot of different traumas that can impact us. Unresolved pain in our lives has a tremendous influence over our perception of ourselves and perception around interactions with our spouse. As we learn to deal and process the things that have happened, experiences, events in our life, a learning I've come to understand, mostly as I reflect back on this on my 20-year journey, is every step is significant. That's right. Small, smart choices over time is not just for physical productivity at work, but it is emotional healing productivity. Awareness and acknowledging the pain is actually a huge step even if you haven't begun working on it. So way back when I was in my late 20s, when I acknowledged when I saw Alex and I realized this, that actually was a step in movement toward healing. That's good. Yeah, it's so easy for people to get stuck in those traumatic places, but being proactive and talking through it and getting the help you need, if it's counseling or pastoral support or whatever, is so important to move forward. And so it doesn't allow you and your relationship to stay stuck. True. Well, there's so much more that we could say around this idea of me and we awareness, but here's the challenge. Take a step towards discovery. You may need to do some self-discovery first. So if you don't know what your personality makeup is, take an assessment or two. Maybe use Myers-Briggs or DISC. They're two really common personality assessments. If you don't know what motivates you, take an Enneagram assessment. It can enlighten you on your core motives. I just want to add, James, if you're listening and you don't want to do that, lean in and do it. Learn about each other. Mm -hmm. But spouse, if they don't want to do it, don't hog tie them. That means don't force them. (laughs) Don't force them. But I just go, you know what? If someone's wanting to learn, if you're wanting to learn, I want to lean in and learn with you. That's right. And so I don't want to resist that. And resisting that because you don't like assessments or diving into personality would really shut down a lot of learning that could be very fruitful for you. Right. And again, marriage is about each individual taking responsibility for themselves and growing. All that said, if either husband or wife doesn't want to do the work of discovery, you can still do the discovery yourself and grow and make a change in your life. So, yeah, just don't be big pants about it. Like, right. I'm growing and you're not growing. Don't that's do that. Right. No, no boy, no. 
So then after you do that, have some meaningful conversations with your spouse and share your learnings. See what they see in you. Talk with your spouse about your origin story. If there are hurts from your past, lean into vulnerability and share them with your husband and wife. We can guarantee that your level of intimacy will increase. For sure. So friends, thank you for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please let your friends know by sharing it with them. You can also help other people find the podcast by rating the podcast and leaving us a review. We would love to hear your thoughts and answer questions you have about what we've shared today. You can email us at hello at artespousing.com or direct message us on Instagram at artespousing. Your feedback is so helpful. We value your insight and perspective. It helps us know how to continually offer content that will help you in your marriage. So next week, we have our good friends, Greg and Julie Gorman, the founders of Married for a Purpose on the show with us. So have a great week, and we will see you next time on the Art of Spousing Podcast. Until then, bye-bye.